At this time, I would normally say children are dismissed back to Praise Factory, but uh, many of them have already gone. Um, and so any remaining children who need to go back there are, are, are free to go. We're going to uh, turn in our Bibles to uh, Matthew chapter 5, and we'll pick up uh, reading there. Uh, we are in the middle of the, um, of the Sermon on the Mount. We're going to take a break because there is a natural break in, in the way in which Jesus has arranged the, uh, the Beatitudes. And so we're going to take a break uh, for uh, our, our celebration of the resurrection over the next three weeks. And then we'll come back to this passage. Um, the, uh, the scriptures uh, detail how Jesus is teaching his disciples and uh, teaching them what it means to be Uh, citizens of his kingdom. Uh, He says, or Matthew writes in Matthew chapter 5, verse 1, seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Let's ask the Lord to bless our time in his word. Let's ask him to speak to our hearts as we proceed on our spiritual journey heading towards meeting Jesus on that final day. Let's ask him to search the intentions of our heart, uh, the thoughts in our mind, and ask him to reveal if there's any uh, unclean way in us and to shape us for his use and for his glory. Let's pray and ask God to bless our time in his word. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to hear your word. We are, we are mindful of the fact that one-third of the people in the world, as has been said, have no gospel access at all. They have no ability to hear or to know you because there is, there is no knowledge of you in their land. Uh, the greatest famine, the greatest Hunger, as described by the Bible, is described in the prophets where, where the prophet says that there is a famine for hearing the word of the Lord. And, and in America, we may be experiencing this famine out of neglect, but there are some who experience this famine because there is no gospel, there is no Bible growing in a place where they can hear it and believe it. Father, we pray that you would rebuke and correct our culture's sin of neglect of your word. And we pray that as we turn our hearts and minds to you, that, Father, we would see ourselves as your solution to the problem of of the famine of the word in other places. May we not wait for someone to fix the problem, but instead see that you are working to raise up those who hunger and thirst for righteousness to take the gospel to those who need to hear it. We pray that you would allow us 
to be your change agents in the world. We pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. As we turn to uh, Matthew chapter 5, verse 6, I just want to share a bit of a cultural lesson with you first. Um, so, so if you've got a piece of paper to write on or you've got your phone, you open up your notes app. Um, I want to I want to share a, a bit of um, my own New Jersey heritage um, growing up, uh, you know, and, and, and meeting Nancy. I met my father in law who um, who has a uh, a German Irish background. And uh, and so, you know, coming from that ethnic background, he there was there were some peculiarities. You know how it is, right? Every culture's got their ways of doing things and their pronunciations and things. And so, uh, this is a regular occurrence with my, with my father-in-law. Whether I was 17 and first meeting Nancy, or or 21, or, or now at 41, um, when I would enter into the into the house, he would he would use this this German Italian word. Um, towel over his shoulder at the stove, okay? And so, so here's the word. I'm gonna, this is, I'm gonna, I'm gonna share this with you, and I just want you to write it, write it out, okay? The, the word is spelled D-J, okay, D-J-O-O-E-A-T. And it's pronounced with a little bit of a lilt at the end, okay? In, in the form of a question, he would say, do you eat? Whenever we'd walk into the house, right? It's, it's a, a constant, right? Uh, this is what he always asked. He's at the stove. He's got the towel over his over his shoulder. Um, it was so good to arrive there uh, at at that house right around dinner time. Um, over the years, like my I mean, my father um, is a good man, uh, but when 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 I was younger, he had a, a simpler set of tastes. He he demanded that the that the menu be be very simple, and so no onions, no spices, really, just very um, meat and potatoes kind of a guy. Um, but at Nancy's house, there was fettuccine Alfredo. Uh, there was lasagna, chicken marsala, chicken parm. He'd make paella, which is wonderful if you've never had it. It's like seafood and rice. Uh, uh, deal and broccoli. You might recognize that word, deal. You might say cavatelli. That would be wrong. Um, and, uh, and, and the food was just so good. Um, my house was like, was like, the food was, was tasty and, and there was the, the comforts of home, but Nancy's house was like, taste the rainbow, you know? It's just like, whoa, I didn't realize there was this much food in the world. And, and Nancy would say, hey, come over to my house. Or when we're married, we're going to my parents' house tonight for dinner. And it was like, okay, good. You know, this is going to be a food adventure. And I would make sure to, um, to, to, to space out my meals, you know, or to, to limit myself to have enough room in my stomach to eat as much as I could, uh, to arrive hungry and ready to eat. This is what Jesus says about his followers. He says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst. Blessed are those who, who come with an appetite, who are ready to eat up and to drink up because they know that they have need. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst. What are they hungering and thirsting for? For righteousness. Okay, and so there is a, there is a quality that is necessary in the disciples of Jesus and there's a promise attached to it. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Hunger flows from want. 
from, from need. If you're not hungry now, let some time pass and, and the, the feeling will grow in you. The disciple is to be regularly, constantly hungry and thirsty for righteousness. The Bible uh, presents images of this. In Psalm 42, we see as a deer pants for flowing streams. So pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. This is not um, the serene image of a, of a, a song sung by a church choir, right? You know, uh, this, is, this is a deer in the woods looking for water, thinking in whatever deer thoughts he, he thinks, you know, uh, water or I die, right? Water or death, right? This is, this is a need for, for thirst, good word here, to be slaked, right? Eliminated. Isaiah 26, 9. My soul yearns for you in the night, Isaiah says. My spirit within me earnestly seeks you. For when your judgments are in the earth, the inhabitants of the world learn Righteousness. This is, this is the desire of Isaiah, and this is the desire of the disciple, a hunger and thirst for righteousness. When, when God's judgments are in the earth, the inhabitants of the world learn what it means to be righteousness. So there's three kinds of righteousness that, that I believe we ought to desire as the disciples of Jesus. Uh, these can, can provide a, a check to your, to your spirit. You know, they can, they can be there as a yardstick to say your, your sense of what you're after when you come to Christ is insufficient. Or maybe they will, they will be a measurement and you will say, I desire the right things. Lord, fuel my desire. And as we look at those kinds of righteousness, we're also going to talk about satisfaction, how we, how we meet satisfaction. Mick Jagger can't get no satisfaction. He still sings that song. It's not found what he's looking for, you two reference. But... We can find satisfaction as we hunger. There's three kinds of righteousness that are being discussed here. The first one is meritorious righteousness, or a righteousness uh, that, is, that, that, that earns favor before God. And this is a problem. The Bible says that none of us have merit before God. When, it, when I was a kid, um, I found a book in a pile of, of, of books, and it was called All Men Seek God. And there were all of these quotes and references from all over uh, different uh, religious uh, philosophies and different scripture books. But there was a quote that wasn't in that book. And as a, as a young uh, boy, I was looking for it because I'd heard it in church. Um, but this book was, was trying to give evidence that all people seek some kind of connection with the divine. But Romans 3.12 wasn't there. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. The Bible doesn't teach that all people seek God. The Bible teaches that no one seeks God in a way that earns God's favor or merit before him. God doesn't say, hey, you, you deserve a gold star. Come into heaven. Because he never finds a human being like that. We've all sinned and fallen short of his glory. But the good news of the gospel, that's redundant, the good news is the gospel, gospel means good news, the good news is that God sends Christ to be our substitute and he brings righteousness with him. Jeremiah 23, 6 says this, in his days Judah will be saved, Israel will dwell securely, this is the name by which he, 
God will be called. The Lord is our righteousness. If you hunger and thirst for merit before God, and you know that you are sinful and cannot please Him because you have no righteousness of your own, the good news of the gospel is that God is our righteousness. Listen to how Paul says it in 1 Corinthians. This isn't a, a go-to gospel verse, right? Uh, generally. So, so, so there might be some fresh satisfaction that comes from it. 1 Corinthians 1.30 Because of Him, because of God's work, because of Him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Jesus became to us righteousness. What we must do to receive this is to repent and believe. You can, you can receive righteousness from Christ in the same way that you would receive food at my father-in-law's house. You, you go into the house, you know what you need to bring? If you, if you bring money and you kind of try to throw it on the table, he's going to be insulted. He is a, an Italian-German man and he will tell you that you can put your money away. You know, you, you can't even volunteer to wash the dishes because Pop-Pop, as my children know him, washes the dishes as he goes along, right? He does it while he cooks the meal. What do you need to do in order to receive food from him? You arrive with an appetite. You walk through the door and he says, gee, and you say, no, I didn't. And he says, well, the food will be ready in a couple minutes. Or he says, sit down. And he puts a plate of food in front of you. If we come to Jesus, we hear the words of Isaiah where he says, come and buy food without money. God gives Christ to whoever asks. How do we experience satisfaction when it comes to this need for righteousness before God? We ask for it. We say, Father, I have sinned against you and I am no longer uh, uh, worthy to be called your child. Yes, that's true. But he says, you've, you've admitted your need. You've believed in Christ. Here, receive my son. And so if we are in Christ, we have all that we need and we ought to be experiencing the satisfaction of knowing that, that we are righteous before God. The devil may attack that. The world may say that you are not righteous. Your flesh may rise up and rebel against that. But you push back with the truth of Scripture and say, the Lord is my righteousness. Jeremiah 23.6. 1 Corinthians 1.30. Uh, he became to me my righteousness. Christ is my Savior and I am right before God. Second is kind of righteousness is the righteousness of experience. Right? When Matthew is talking about righteousness, he's not necessarily always referring to um, this, this substitutionary act of Jesus on our behalf, taking our place, taking our sin, and giving us his righteousness. Jesus, many, many times when he preaches, most of the time when he preaches, when he says righteousness, he's saying live the way God requires you to. Obey God's commands. Micah 6.8 He has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? But to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. We might think today that the love of God is that he sends Christ and forgives our sins. And that's the limit of it. But John 
Jesus' disciple, the disciple whom he loved, who heard Jesus speak with, with his mouth and was given the, 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 the job to actually write scripture under the influ- influence of the Holy Spirit, says this, inspiration of the Spirit. 1 John 5, 3, this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome. Everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that overcomes the world, our faith. Empowered by the Spirit, fueled by the presence of God within us, we are to live righteous lives in the world, obeying God's commandments and living in the way that he calls us to. Like newborn infants, 1 Peter 2.2, longing for pure spiritual milk, we're to grow up into salvation. If indeed we've tasted that the Lord is good. Uh, verse 11 of that chapter says, Beloved, I urge you as, as, as sojourners, as pilgrims and exiles, abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. Demonstrate the fruit of the reality of the Spirit living within you. Now you might at this point be saying, my life's not perfect how do I know that I'm hungry and thirsty for righteousness? We'll talk about how to, how to experience satisfaction in just a moment. But, but think about this. How do we know if hunger is real? You may, you may internally lament your failure. And we all fail. The, the, James says there is no one who does not sin. Um, but hunger manifests itself in distinctive ways, doesn't it? Hunger hurts. Hunger, hunger produces a, a feeling that's unpleasant in us. And in the Western world, we probably eat more than we should. Um, and maybe we overemphasize things. But, but my children will frequently describe the feeling, which is unpleasant, that they feel when they're hungry. They'll come into the house and they'll say, I'm starving. Right? When you're actually starving, it hurts. It hurts. And so when we think of ourselves and our righteousness and how far we have to go until we are righteous like Christ not that we will ever attain it in this life but when the pain of our unrighteousness and the desire to be righteous and to live in a way that pleases God strikes us we feel that pain we know that we are hungry second hunger motivates people to seek food right when you're hungry and you're on the road you think Where can I go to get food? And conveniently, we've got food everywhere, right? You're like, America runs on Dunkin', right? You know, I can have it my way. You know, you start thinking of of, of phrases, right? Or you're thinking like stopping at Food Lion and, and get a salad or whatever. You know, hunger motivates people to seek food. And when we're spiritually hungry, we think, I need an answer. I need help. I need to go to God and to, and to, to receive from Him. Hunger is also only satisfied with real food. Someone invites you over for dinner, you're you're like, yes, right? It's going to be like being invited to Keith's father-in-law's house, chicken marsala, right? You know, we're going to have gavadil and broccoli, we're going to have paella, it's going to be real. And then they put like a box of cereal in front of you, you're like, no, it's not going to do it, right? Eat up real quick, right? Got to go, can I help you with the dishes? That's cool, you know, and off for real food, right? You know, I'm I'm, going to eat something. There wasn't, there wasn't anything there. It wasn't, it wasn't substantial. Hunger is only satisfied with real food. And so we might, we might, uh, think, how do I know that I'm spiritually hungry? Well, what is it that satisfies? Is it the self-help psychology of the world? 
Is it the, the positive sayings that we can find? You can do it all over Instagram, you know, or, or on Facebook. Is that where we find satisfaction? Or do we long for the milk of the world, of the, of the word? Do we, do we feast on the bread of life? Do we, do we eat the meat of the word? What is it that we satisfy ourselves with? That demonstrates that there's real hunger. Even if we feel like I'm, I'm not sure my hunger is real at this moment. I'm, I'm, I'm hungry. I'm not experiencing that satisfaction. Where, what's your destination? Where are you going? Finally, hunger makes food taste sweet. Pickiness vanishes. You know, those who are the, the children of God can, can eat. And sometimes it, it, what they're eating might feel a bit unpleasant. But because they're hungry, they're willing to, to take it. Proverbs 27.7 says this, One who is full loathes honey. But to one who is hungry, everything bitter is sweet. When we are spiritually hungry, we will will say, God, teach me from your word, and we'll take rebuke. We'll take correction. We'll we'll receive that that we are not living the way that we ought. We'll we'll, we'll sit and we'll listen to a message that, that exposes our sins, and we'll say, I don't like the way this feels, but I'm spiritually hungry, and so I'll receive it. Because I know it's from God's word and I know it's from him. And so, so I accept it. Hunger makes food taste sweet. There are things that when I am hungry, I'll just, I'll eat them even though I don't prefer them. Not a big bologna fan, right? Not really into salami. But like, if I'm hungry and that's what there is, I'm eating up. How do we experience satisfaction when it comes to our own experiential need for righteousness, to live in the way that God commands? First Timothy uh, 4.15, Paul tells Timothy, practice these things, immerse yourself in them, so that all may see your perfection. No. Progress. Progress. Am I, am I growing in my responsiveness to the Holy Spirit when he says, that's not the way I call you to live. Are we, are we growing in our knowledge of the word? Are we growing in, in putting the word into practice? Are we growing in, in arresting sin in our lives? We see a desire or a doubt arising and we say, hey, cut it out, right? You know, and we, we turn to Christ. Is there, is there progress? Is there growth? That's where we experience satisfaction. Third kind of righteousness is um, societal or world righteousness. No one... I think, can look at our culture right now and say, everything's a-okay, right? It's all good. You know, right now, actually, we're in a political cycle where uh, those who are trying to get elected, their job is to show us every single thing that's wrong in the world, right? And then tell us exactly how they propose to fix them. And then they all fight about how each other's fixes are wrong and vote for me and not that guy. Um, When Jesus and others in the Bible speak about righteousness, they speak about liberating man from oppression, oppression from from injustice, oppression from sin. They talk about promoting uh, individual rights. We see in the scriptures all through the Old Testament that that justice is to roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream, that that the rich are not to defraud the poor, and that 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 those who are in places where they, they judge are not supposed to prefer the poor to the rich, and that there's supposed to be a right way of society working. There should be integrity in business 
goodness. There should be honor in the home and family. And so the disciple ought to have a hunger for righteousness in the whole human community as something pleasing to a righteous God. We can say that ruler is a tyrant and a dictator because he does not honor the son, like it says in Psalm 2. Kiss the son, lest he be angry with you and you perish in the way. So what does that mean? Do we, does that mean the Christian is to seek to change the world through elections? I would say no. Um, having witnessed many elections, they are important. I think that we ought to participate. But ought we to be fooled and to think that, that this election will change the world? I, I think the answer is, is no, it won't. The next four years will likely uh, be a repeat of some other four years that we've seen under some prior president. We ought to make a wise choice. We ought to see and seek someone who who, uh, will serve the interests of the people and, and serve them and care for them. But Jesus demonstrates that he changes the world in smaller ways, by changing hearts. The kingdom of God is like what? Like, like a measure of leaven that, that a woman put into uh, uh, some dough and she kneaded it and kneaded it and it worked its way all the way through the dough. Jesus starts with 12 guys, right? And those guys have turned the world upside down and changed the, the nature of the way that human beings think about the world. Uh, Jesus mission to love God and to love neighbor has given rise to universities and hospitals and missionary societies and aid organizations and all kinds of things. And even secular organizations that seek to serve people don't realize often the debt that they owe to Jesus' way of thinking and teaching. He's changing the world one heart and mind at a time. God says, let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. And as Christians, we ought to pray, God, make the world like this and help me to be part of that. We're to pray each and every day in the pattern that Jesus taught us, right? Not specifically those words as if, as if praying that earns us a gold star, but we're to, we're to pray and to work with the intent that God would build his kingdom here. Right? And that his will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's what it, it means to hunger for uh, the world to be righteous. We re- need to realize that it's, not, it's, it's, it's unfair and wicked of people to say, if, if God is, is real, you ought to be compassionate when you answer this question. If, if God's there and he's real, why are there so many people suffering? It's like, I don't know. Maybe it's the wickedness of man. Why are those people starving? Because somebody's sitting on a giant pile of money or a giant pile of food. And they won't let it get there. There are countries that refuse aid and they won't let, let, let doctor organizations in and they won't let uh, food relief organizations in. That's not, that's not the, the, uh, the lack of care of God. That's the wickedness of man. How do we receive satisfaction knowing that that we are not going to see the world changed until we see the fulfillment of Revelation 19.11? I saw heaven open. Behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called faithful and true. And in righteousness, he judges and makes war. The righteous one will come and he will make a perfect society. But in the meantime, how do we experience satisfaction? 
We build community. We build community, whether it's in our church or in our family or in, a, in, our, in our business. We, we build a community centered around the principles of God. And we sow, James three eighteen. we sow in peace a harvest of righteousness by making peace. Romans 14, 17 says the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. The kingdom can be here and experienced by God's people as they live in community according to his commandments. As they uh, serve one another and forgive one another and express grace to one another and honor one another and love one another. They lift up the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit in their hearts and minds. But in their actions, they love those around them. They love their neighbor as themselves. That is how we experience satisfaction and we wait for his coming to to, to change us and to change the world. So let's let's think real practical here. We We may say, yes, that's what I want. How do I fire myself up on a daily basis to, to have that kind of appetite each and every day? How do I do that? How do I work up an appetite? It's very, very similar. There's a, there's a parable, I think, not in the Bible, but in, in real life, of the relationship between our physical selves and our spiritual selves. And I would say that, that charging yourself up with a hunger and thirst for righteousness can be very similar to, to the way that we manage our human diet. First, resolve to change your lifestyle. That's the key. Okay, step one is stop eating garbage, right? You know, stop eating junk and, and substitute it for real food. When it comes to the, to the spiritual appetite, we need to eliminate root idols, okay? We need to take aim at what's going on in our hearts and say, Holy Spirit, target this, change this, eliminate it, help me to hunt it each and every day, right? These, these idols are at the base of our sins, okay? So here's a parable of, of the mo- modern supermarket and modern diet, okay? What, what kind of garbage ought we to stop eating, okay? Stop eating energy things, right? Out there, uh, there's all this get revved up stuff, right? Like 5,000 hour energy, right? You know, they've got these, these, these things that are guaranteed. They've got pictures of guys with like huge muscles. They're like, eat this nutrient log and get all revved up, right? Um, that, that is a, that's a, that plays, anything in the world that plays to this need to have power or influence or recognition falls into this category. Praise me, right? Eliminate that. It's not about us, it's about Christ. It's about what he does. So eliminate that from, from the diet. Father, help me to be humble and to point to Christ. And not to say, you know, be like me or recognize me or listen to me. But instead, listen to Christ. Second kind of thing to eliminate is puffy things. All right? Um, there was an ad in a magazine a few years ago that I saw that said, there's a hunger inside of you that an entire bag of cheese curls cannot fill. Um, uh, uh, it's junk. Soda is filled with gas, right? You know, you drink it, you feel that a half an hour later. Um, you, you have largely consumed uh, carbon, whatever's in there, dioxide, and, and this sugar water. Um, and, and we can fill ourselves up with things that, that, that puff us up, 
that make us feel like we are in control, but in fact we're not. We can, we can stack up a pile of money. We can make plans. We can cultivate our ambitions. We ought to have dreams and goals, but they ought not to be our focus. We ought to say, as James says, if the Lord wills, we will do so and so. Control is a longing to have everything go according to our plan. And to say, this is the way in which God will work. And if he doesn't work that way, then I'm going to be upset and and depressed. Instead, we focus on God and his work in Christ. And we say, if the Lord wills, and we surrender control to him. Third kind of thing is sugary things. One of my favorite um, mistakes is to drive through the Dunkin' Donuts drive-thru and to say, uh, two sour cream donuts, medium coffee, cream, and sugar. I am so good, I can have those donuts done, not by the, like, still sitting there at the window, but, like, before I get out of the drive-thru and make the right to come over here. Like, I'm that, I'm that good. I'm on it. Um, we have a longing to delight the flesh, whether it's through uh, food, alcohol, drugs, sex, whatever. Comfort. A longing for pleasure to medicate away our pain. We, we demand that, that we be comfortably numb, right? That we always feel good. But that's not life with, with Christ in the world, right? What does Paul say in Philippians? It's been granted to you not only to be saved, but also to suffer for him. A world without pain is a fiction. Fourth, we ought to eliminate trendy things. Um, I, I looked up on, on uh, the internet the food trends of 2016. Do you know what they are? One is bugs. Grasshopper tacos. There was a recipe right there. It's going to be forced on you sometime this year. It's going to be like, you're not cool unless you eat this. Um, Filipino food is coming, which I've actually had, and it's pretty good. Savory ice cream. Listen to this. Watermelon and feta. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. Somebody's going to try to make you think it's cool. I guarantee you. Chocolate peanut butter hummus. Starbucks is releasing soda? Like, no. Dunkin' Donuts, not going to mess with it. Um, Seaweed popcorn, right? But here's the thing. Here's what happens. If you're not in, then you don't know, right? This is what the world says. You need need to conform and be accepted and desired. Or or, uh, you need need to be viewed as a trendsetter and somebody to look up to. That's a, that's a, a longing for approval. We need to take aim at that and say, my approval comes from God, from Christ, and not from what I do or the image that I fashion for myself. The approval of men is fickle and will leave us empty. So we ought to resolve to change our lifestyle and stop eating garbage. Second, we we ought to know good food and eat up what is being served at the table. Um, I gotta I gotta move through this quickly. Um, what what what? our qualities of good food. Good food's got spice to it, okay? We're called on a regular basis to consume the bitter herbs of repentance. When, when, the, when the word stings us, whether it's from the preaching of the word or our own reading, we ought to say, Jesus, thank you for pointing that out to me. That stung, but I appreciate it. We ought to say, Holy Spirit, thank you for, for showing me in this particular situation that I, was, that I was wrong and I needed to repent. Thank you. And we ought to see that as good food. Second, we ought to realize that affliction humbles us and holds us back. Proverbs 30, verse 7. Two things I ask of you. Deny them 
not to me before I die. Remove far from me falsehood and lying. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that's needful for me, lest I be full and deny you. And say, who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. So often we think think that affliction is to our detriment, that it's bad for us. But so often it's there to humble us and drive us to Christ and to keep us from sinning against God. Thomas Watson says, the wise God sees it good sometimes to give us the sharp sauce of affliction to make us feed more hungrily upon the bread of life. Finally, eat what's put on the table. As Christians, we need to focus our our, our hearts and minds and look at what God actually sets the table with. Many times we think that the answer is we will always be happy, we will always be joyful, and we take the American dream, right, and we dress it up in religious language and we stick it in the place of the gospel. And God's not promised to give us the American dream. God's promised to feed us what he promises to put at the table. So here are three things that God fills with. He fills with grace. Acts 7.55. Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God. He had grace. He was filled with the Spirit. He had every spiritual blessings, every spiritual blessing he needed in the heavenly places. You know what's going to happen in just a second? He's going to be dead. But God gave him grace in the moment. Second thing God promises to fill us with is peace. Romans 15, 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. John 16, 33. I've said these things to you that in you, that in me, you may have peace. In the world you'll have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. God puts peace on the table and promises us to fill it, fill us with it when we believe and walk in his word. And then finally, he fills us with joyous, transforming presence. Look at Jesus and be changed. Psalm 17, 15. As for me, I shall behold your face in righteousness. When I awake, I will be satisfied with your likeness. Why does Jesus come into the world filled with the Holy Spirit? John 33, 34 says that he gives the Spirit without measure. He gives it to Jesus to give without measure so that he can give it to us. So that we can be transformed. Jesus didn't need any more of the Holy Spirit. He had it. But he gives the spirit without measure to give it to us without measure to fill us full. Second Corinthians 3, 17. Now the Lord is the spirit and where the spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. And we all with an unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. This comes from the Lord who's the spirit. So my encouragement to you as we as we close down is this. Ask this question. Are you hungry? What are your breakfast, lunch, and dinner plans? If you're like me, sometimes you even plan for when your wife says, get up and let the dog out, right? And you get a fourth meal out of the day, right? You know, do you have, do you have food plans? Have you, have you heard, as we've talked through this, have you heard that there's some filler in your diet that's crowding out your hunger and thirst? Is there a root idol? 
control, power, comfort, or approval that you need to say, Jesus, kill that. That you need to repent of. Ask yourself this question, what one change can you make today that will increase your hunger and thirst for righteousness? Jesus says you're blessed if you hunger and thirst for righteousness and that you will be satisfied. Do you have merit before God? Only through Jesus. Do you have growing righteousness? Only as you embrace the work of the Spirit in you and step forward in active obedience. Are you creating a kingdom participating with God, working in the world to build community. Let's close in prayer. Father, thank you for this time in your word. As we we come to sing, we pray that, that we would repent of our idols. As we've sung so many times before, Father, give us clean hands, give us pure hearts. Let us not bow down to another. We pray that we would not satisfy ourselves at the banquet table of spiritual junk food but that we would come before you and say, fill me with that which is needful for me. Give me what I need. Fill me up that I may be satisfied with the righteousness of Christ. That I might go forth in obedience and that I might be part of building a community that's focused on the gospel here on earth each and every day. We thank you for your grace, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and sing this song together.